You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Bayshore. Good to see everybody. Wasn't that amazing worship today? Incredible worship. Let's thank the worship team. Our Millsburg campus worship team went to Femic Island to lead worship there this morning. Then they loaded up, came back here. They've had a full morning, and they just did an incredible job down there. Had a full house down there this morning, Femic Island. Wonderful services there. And I'm just so glad you're here. If you are uh, new to Bayshore, I'm Pastor Danny, and thank you for being here. And thank you, those of you that are inviting people to come every Sunday. We're just so glad that they are uh, people are joining you to come to church on Sunday morning. We are in a series called Dual Connection. It's studying the book of First. John, and we're talking about how what this book is about, how it works, and uh, one of the big goals of Bayshore is to teach the Bible uh, publicly in context so that you can go home and read it for yourself in your devotion so you can grow in your faith. That's a big uh, thing that we're trying to do here. But we're so glad that you're here this morning, and we are looking at some of the major themes in the book of 1 John. And today we're going to be talking about this idea that's really key to the book of 1 John, and that is, how do I know if I am an authentic Christian? How do I know if I'm a real Christian and not sort of a counterfeit Christian. And the book of 1 John really addresses that issue very directly. And uh, this book tells you how to know for sure if you're a Christian. That's a big deal. Sometimes people struggle with assurance. You know, am I really a Christian? Am I really in right relationship with the Lord? So uh, here's what 1 John says, 1 John 5, 13. This is the, a key part of the book of 1 John, and he puts it in stark, emphatic words about why he wrote the book. Here it is, 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, I don't know if you've struggled with, am I really a Christian? If you ever had those days where you're not very Christian, you're not like living really great, uh, and you're not really sure if you're still a Christian, we struggle with those things. Uh, my wife, Karen, beautiful, wonderful love of my life, when she was a young girl going to the Methodist church, uh, one of the pastors that came to the Methodist church there was a kind of a revivalist. He preached, you know, the gospel and salvation on a regular basis, which was refreshing for that church, a good thing. Uh, but Karen, you know, she found the Lord, but every Sunday as he would preach the gospel, she would come down to the front of the altar and she would uh, pray again because she messed up sometime during the week and, you know, wasn't very Christian in school or something and something happened. And so when he would preach the gospel, she would get insecure about her salvation and she would come forward and pray and, uh, you know, ask the Lord to come into her life again. And the pastor, the pastor who had supposedly been to seminary, said, um, I think you have it this time. He would say that to her every week. I think you have it this time. Now, there's all kinds of problems with that, with that statement. I think you have it. He wasn't even sure that she got saved and she knew the Lord. Well, here's what 1 John says. 1 John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know 
so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, back in the 70s, there was the, Bill Bright, who was uh, head of Campus Crusade. He had a little booklet called uh, The Four Spiritual Laws. And in The Four Spiritual Laws, uh, you would ask a person, as you were sharing your faith with them, uh, you would ask them this question. If you stood before the Lord tonight, would you be assured that you would go to heaven? And so I remember using that little technique to talk to people and I would uh, talk to them about their faith and you would always lead in with this question if you stood before the Lord tonight would you know that you were going to go to heaven now I would say nine out of ten people said that I hope so I hope so and there was a lot of people that just weren't sure that you could know and in fact, people would argue the fact that I don't think anybody can really know for sure. Well, that sounds okay, but it's not biblical. The Bible says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. Now, the word know there uh, is in the present tense in Greek. If you're new to church and new to Christianity, the, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, which means common Greek. And those Greek words have tenses. And the tense that's used here is the perfect tense, which means that you something happens in a point in time and then it carries out the benefits into the future. In other words, what this word says is, is that you may know and continue to know that you have eternal life, that you can be sure without a common, uh, without a doubt that you have eternal life. The word know is oida in the Greek, and it's the same word that when you pray to God, he already knows what you need before you ask him. So that word literally means full knowledge and full confidence. So I want to talk today about this idea of can you know for sure and how do you know for sure that you are an authentic Christian. I heard about, uh, read a couple years ago about this guy Mahmoud Sarhan, who went to uh, Cairo Zoo, and he was looking at the zebras, and he noticed there was a smudge on the face of one of the zebras. And as he looked at these zebras, he discovered that these weren't zebras, these were donkeys that were painted as zebras. And uh, he took a picture, he had one picture of the face of the zebra, and you could see a big smudge, and he, he put it on Facebook. And it went viral, and news people got a hold of it, and they started talking to veterinarians that looked at the picture, and they said, zebras have a black snout, and the veterinarian says, these marks are not consistent with being a zebra. They weren't zebras. They were pretending to be zebras, but they were just donkeys painted like zebras. In, in China, there was, a, uh, there was a zoo there that was trying to pawn off a dog that is an African lion and looked, supposedly looked like an African lion. And people are approaching the African lion cage and the African lion barked at them. So that's a big problem. So authenticity, how do we know for sure that we are Christians? Now, the Bible says that we should, we should be careful to check it out to make sure that we really are Christians. 2 Corinthians 13.5, this is a good scripture. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says this, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. 
So we're supposed to examine ourselves to see if we're really in the faith. And, uh, and, we, should, and we should test ourselves to make sure that we really, really know the Lord. Now, there's a, a disturbing scripture in Matthew chapter 7 in the uh, Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says this in 722 of Matthew. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, and drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Now, that's a verse that will make you kind of stay up at night. It says there'll be people at the last day that will say, hey, Lord, we did all these ministry works for you. We cast out devils. We prayed for the sick. We did all these things. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. So one of the little clues we get here is that ministry works or works of service are not an indication of salvation. They're not an indication of salvation. Doing all these religious things are not a, a, a test of salvation. And uh, one of the things I think people feel sometimes is they think that, that, that salvation, knowing for sure that you have salvation, is based on feelings, how I feel. If I feel excited, if I feel the Lord then I'm, I must be saved. If I feel goosebumps in church, when I go to church, if I feel goosebumps, then I must be a real Christian. Now, let me tell you something. Your emotions are not a good indicator of your salvation. Your emotions. Sometimes you feel saved. Sometimes you feel like the Lord is with you. And sometimes you don't feel like the Lord's with you. It says in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was written by David, a man after God's own heart, a man that played the harp and worshiped the Lord, that wrote Psalm 23. And he says at one point in his life, my God, my God, you have forsaken me. So feelings are not a good indicator of your salvation. New believers, many times when they come to the Lord, they, are, you know, they, they have a great experience, they get baptized and they come out of the water, their hands are raised up, they're all excited. And, and, and then the feelings begin to wane at different parts of their life. They go through a hard time and they don't feel or sense the Lord. They say that uh, a pilot, an airplane pilot, when he's flying an airplane, it's possible for the airplane pilot to get vertigo, to get turned around not knowing if he's flying sideways, upside down, and he can't see the horizon correctly. And he's, in his mind, he, can't, he feels like he's flying uh, sideways. And they tell a pilot that has vertigo to look at the instruments. Look at the instruments. What do the instruments say? Because the instruments are reliable uh, more than your feelings. And when you talk about your Christian life, one of the things that we have to do is to really lean into this idea of reading God's word, believing God's word. Uh, there's a little, uh, little uh, cartoon that's showing the locomo uh, locomotive being fact, and then the next car is faith, and then the last caboose, the last car in the train is feelings. So feelings aren't first, facts are first. What does God's word say? Reading God's word, walking with the Lord, serving the Lord. What does God's word say? Then you put your faith in what God's word says and feelings bring up the rear. And if you're living by feelings, you're going to have a hard time in your Christian life. I heard about this one guy told me, he said he was a Tarzan Christian, a Tarzan Christian. I said, well, what is a Tarzan Christian? He said, uh, you know how Tarzan used to swing from vine to vine to vine in the jungle 
He said, I go from Christian concert to Christian concert to Christian concert to get all excited. And, uh, you know, hey, there's nothing wrong with Christian concerts, but you cannot live on feelings. You have to go deeper than that, and you have to look into God's Word and walk according to God's Word. So let me give you uh, two things that John says prove you have real salvation. Two things. Only two things prove you have salvation. It's not feelings. It's not feelings. It's not religious works. Two things prove that you have real salvation. 1 John chapter 3, verses uh, 9 and 10. No one who is born of God. No one who is born of God. Now, notice that language there, the born of God. John, 1 John is written by John. And if you are a Christian and you read your Bible and you read uh, John 3 in the Gospel of John, John talks about being born again. In the, first, in the book of 1 John, we know that the same guy wrote John, the gospel that wrote 1 John, because he uses the same language. And here he's talking about being uh, born of God. And in the gospel of John, he said being born again, being born again. It says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does what is right is not God's child, does not do what's right, is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So the two things are uh, the moral test. How do we live our life when we look at uh, coming to the Lord? Are we seeing a change in our life? Are we different than we used to be? That's the indicator that we really have met the Lord. It says, uh, it says, no one who is born of God will continue or have a habit of sinning because God's seed remains in them. Now, it does not say uh, anyone that's born of God will never sin, will never sin. The uh, book of James says we all stumble in many ways. So it doesn't say we'll never sin. In fact, the book of 1 John in chapter 1 says, if we say we have not sinned, we are a liar. So we do sin. We do stumble. I can bet you that some of you stumbled this week. You know, you love Jesus, you want to live right, and you're trying to do the right thing, and you love the Lord, and you're praying, and you're coming to church, and you're in small group, but something happened this week, and you weren't very Christian at one point. Something happened to you, and you stumbled into sin. But here's the thing. Well, here's what 1 John says. It's in the present tense. It says it doesn't mean that we can never sin. What it means is, is we can't stay in sin. We can't continue to sin. It's, it's, not, it's not conducive to who we really are. You know, I can, I'm capable of getting angry. I'm capable of getting uh, offended. But I can't stay angry as a believer. I, it's not like, I'm not saying uh, that I shouldn't stay angry. I need to act like a Christian. I'm saying that I can't. I can't because I've been born again. My new man inside of me. The new nature inside of me is not prone to be bitter. It's prone to forgive. It's prone to express love like Jesus expressed love. So when, we, when John's test is, is that if we really know the Lord and we are authentic Christians, then how we live will be different. We won't be perfect, but we can't stay in sin. We can stay in sin because we've been born of God. There's a new person in us. It says in Ephesians to put off the old man and put on the new self. We have a new self. So this new self inside that I have, 
You know, I could, you know, maybe, uh, you know, there's an opportunity to lust. Oh, my gosh, there's lust in this world. I can't stay in that. I'm not made to stay in that anymore. I'm a different person. I, I, I can be envious of somebody that's got something. Boy, they got the big house or all that, and they got the big fancy car or whatever, and I could get envious, but I realize I can't stay envious because my identity is not found in what I have. My identity is in who I know in the Lord himself. I cannot stay in sin. I can't habitually commit sin. John says the test for a person's authentic Christianity is not how they feel, it's what happens in their life that they begin to live differently. Now, I want you to notice the argument here. The argument is not, you better live like a Christian. The argument isn't, the argument isn't like, hey, you better get on the ball and start being like a Christian, acting like a Christian. You need to be, read the Bible, read all the laws, and do what the law says because you need to be a better Christian. It doesn't say that. It says if you are a Christian, you will live righteous. You will live righteous. There'll be a difference in how you live. I... Uh, when I came here years ago, next month, I think it's 43 years, Karen and I have been here. We've just had a wonderful time being with you guys. I love you guys. And uh, thank you. I was needing a little love, so I thought I'd throw that out there. So. But when we came here, there was a guy named Morris Daisy who lived here in Gumboro that was uh, on our board. And uh, Morris, just, Morris and his wife Connie just loved on Karen and I. And when we came here... Uh, Morris, uh, you know, he just helped us. And, you know, I used to borrow his lawnmower to cut the grass in front of the, uh, the, the mobile home where we lived and all that. But uh, Morris was, his, his dad had Parkinson's disease. And uh, I'd go see Mr. Daisy, Morris's dad. I'd go visit him. He lived right around the here, corner here. And I'd go sit in that house and visit him and pray with him and talk to, talk to Mr. Daisy. And he died. And he was the first funeral I ever had. First funeral I ever did as a young pastor. I think I was 24, 25 years old. And I remember standing up there 24, 25 years old. I didn't know squat about life. I didn't know squat about anything. And I'm standing at uh, Watson Funeral Home up here. And I had visited with Mr. Daisy, so I had stuff to say about him. So I talked about Mr. Daisy. And I uh, had a wonderful you know, time talking about Mr. Daisy. And I did the funeral. And it wasn't great. It wasn't great. It's my first one. But Morris in the corner of my eye, corner of my eye, uh, I could see him sitting there in the corner. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, Danny, you did a good job. You did a good job. Well, a couple years ago, about two years ago, I did Morris's funeral. I did Morris's funeral. So I did his dad's. And then a couple years ago, I did Morris's funeral. And the other day, I was at Honey Bee uh, Wedding Venue. And I was doing the wedding of Morris Daisy's grandson, Nick. And uh, I'm getting ready. And I don't know if you had been to Honey Bee. It's run by the people that had the creamery out there on Route 5. I mean, it's just a really great little venue. And I'm doing this wedding. And it's for Nick and his, and his gal, uh, Olive. And Morris's son walks by on the way to sit down with his wife, uh, Jane. And I said, oh, my goodness. I said, Mike, you look just like your dad, just like your dad. He said, and you're getting old, too, is what he said to me, you know. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was the spitting image. It was a spitting image of Morris Daisy. And why did Mike Daisy look like Morris Daisy? It's because the seed of Morris Daisy is in Mike Daisy, and Mike Daisy looks like his father. 
Now, John says in this verse, he says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them and they cannot go on sinning. They cannot go on sinning. And the word seed there is the word sperma. We get our word sperm from that. You have the DNA when you are really born again. You have the DNA of your heavenly father in you. And your heavenly father is righteous. Your heavenly father is holy. Your heavenly father is godly. Your heavenly father is full of rightness and goodness. And that seed is in you. And if you are really born again, that will come out in your character. You'll begin to live differently. You won't be perfect, but you'll see the changes in your life. I look at my my life over the last uh, 43 years of ministry, I look at my life since I found the Lord when I was 12, and I'm telling you, I'm not what I should be, but I ain't what I used to be, and I ain't what I'm going to be because the Lord has changing me line by line, precept by precept. I'm a different man. You ask my wife, I'm a different man than I was 20 years ago. And that's because the spirit of God is working out righteousness in our life. The key to our assurance of salvation is what we see has changed in our life. Not what you feel, not what the lattice whim is. You are authentically a Christian because of the changes you begin to see in your life. And here's what John is arguing. And let me tell you something. I'm, I read you two verses, and there's like 20 verses in this book that keep hitting that theme over and over and over again. He who is born again does what is right. Righteous living is the validation of being born again. Righteous living. Righteous living, living in, under uh, the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us. Here's what John Stott says. He's a famous British theologian, real smart guy. I've read some of his books, understood a little bit of it. Uh, he wrote this. He said, the lack of righteousness and love proves the lack of divine birth. The lack of righteousness and love proves the lack of a divine birth. Here's what, here's what John is arguing. John is arguing, and I'll put it down there where we can all get it. John is arguing, here's his argument. The argument is, how do you know an orange tree is an orange tree? That's what the theology is. We can read books and volumes about this, but he's saying, how do you know an orange tree is an orange tree? Jesus said, by your fruit, you will know them. How do you know... An orange tree is an orange tree. You know it's an orange tree because what? It has oranges. It has oranges. That's theology 101. How do you know you're really Christian? If a person goes forward at some emotional thing where the evangelist gets up there and he says, if you love your mother and you want to see your mother in heaven and they play, you know, the violins and they get your emotions all worked up and you come down to the front and you never really make Jesus the Lord of your life. You go back and you got like a little card, like you found the Lord and all that, but there's no change in your life. You're still living in sin. You're still living like you'd always lived. You're still, uh, you know, still all this stuff. And I'm telling you, that shows that there was no genuine conversion. My, uh, my buddy, um, Mike Bailey in uh, Lewistown, Pennsylvania. I met him in Bible college and Mike Bailey, uh, before he met the Lord, he was a philanderer. That means he was a womanizer. 
That means he cheated on his wife all the time. He slept around. He was a bar brawler. He fought in the bars. He was an alcoholic. He was a man, a profane man. His language was dirty and filthy. And his wife left him. His wife had an affair with a guy that uh, she worked with, broke his heart. He fell on his knees. He realized he was reaping his sin. And he fell in the arms of Jesus. And a guy named Ted Yo, Methodist pastor, started discipling him. And Mike Bailey began to change. He got married again. He didn't cheat on his wife. He uh, <clears throat> gave up alcohol. He, he struggled. He struggled. Gave up smoking. He thought that wasn't good for his body. He gave up his language, his filthy language. And did he struggle ever with alcohol? Oh, my gosh, yes, he struggled. One time he was under stress, and he said he went to a bar and ordered a drink, and it sat there in front of him. He walked out and never drank the drink. And what, what's changed this man? What's changed him to be faithful? He's got a little uh, thing in his kitchen that says, I don't have to remember who I was because that's not me anyhow. He became a new creature in Christ. And how do we know that? Because his life changed. His life changed. True conversion produces change in our life. Now, I'll, I'll give you a biblical example. I'm a little bit too long on this point, but I'm going to drive this home a little bit more. Uh, biblical example, Jacob in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 32, his brother's coming to kill him. His brother's going to, you know, lop his head off because he stole the birthright. And Jacob's been gone for 20 years and he's coming and his brother's coming. He's coming back into the land and his brother uh, Esau's coming with 430 people in the army coming to, to, to decimate and kill Jacob. And Jacob goes on the other side of the Jabbok River. And he's got his family divided and he's all worried and he's, he's calling out to God. Some people find the Lord in a crisis where everything is falling apart. Their health is falling apart. They're losing their money. Everything's falling apart. And Jacob was in a crisis. A lot of people come to Jesus in a crisis and he's calling out to the Lord and he begins to wrestle with the Lord. And he said to the Lord, Lord, let me, and the Lord says to Jacob, let me go. He wrestled with him all night. And, and Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. And they said, no longer will your name be Jacob, which means a swindler or deceiver, but your name will be Israel, which means prince with God. And he wrestled with the Lord and he wouldn't let the Lord go. And the Lord hit him in the hip, struck him in the hip. And then all of a sudden the Bible says that Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life. You saw him on a horizon and saw Jacob walking. It looked like Festus from Gunsmoke coming. He's walking. Walking with a limp. And the rest of his life, because he had an encounter with the Lord, it changed how he walked. It changed how he walked. When we have a real encounter with the Lord, it will change how we walk. It will change how we live. It will, and it's not like you should live right. You should live for the Lord. You should be better. It's not that. That's not the theology. The theology is if you have become a Christian, you will live right. It's the test. The test is if there's no change in my life. If there's no difference in how I was before I prayed that prayer at that emotional rally then there's no authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity is validated by what happens in our life. And I love the fact that it does that. Now there's a, another test. And the other test is, it's the love test. 
Two things. He says there's only two ways to know if you're really a Christian. First one is your life is altered and changed because you've had an encounter with the Lord. It's visible. You can see it. The second one is you love other people. John 4, 7 through 12, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves God, listen to this. Everyone who loves God has been born of God and knows God. The test is clear. Everyone who loves God has been born of God. That's the born again language again. Everyone who loves God has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love that does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son among us in the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his sacrifice as son for our sins. Dear friends, uh, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. He says, dear friends, in verse seven, let us love one another for love comes from God, from everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It's, it's, it's so clear and again there's like 10 or 15 verses he says it over and over again and if I, if I was into a bible study we'd go through every verse that's a big theme how do I know a Christian how do I know how do I know I'm a Christian I can't I can't stay angry I can't hate people it's not who I am Jesus is merciful Jesus is loving and his speed is in me my new man is like Jesus my new man forgives like Jesus forgives loving forgiving and I, I can just tell you that some people are easier to love than other people. How many know that's true? Some people are easier to love than other people. But proof of Christianity is that I love people. I love them. I forgive them. I see the best in them. I'm willing to let people go that have been unjust to me. I'm willing to let people go that have been unkind to me. I'm willing to release people that have wounded me. I'm willing to let people go because my nature, my new nature is full of love. And I, I've got to love you, all you guys in church. And there's so many of you. I'm, I'm called to love you. And here's the thing. He's not saying, he's not saying, Love each other so you can be good Christians. He's not saying that. He's saying if you are a Christian, you will love people. He's saying if you really are authentically born again, you will have love flowing out of you. You'll forgive people that have hurt you, that have harmed you. It's, it's inconsistent for you to have the love of God in you, God who is love bringing you to himself without you having the fruit of loving other people. Have you got somebody that's hard to love? It's a divine thing. God helps you to love people. We all have people that know me best. No, I've got one relative I struggle with a little bit. You know, it's difficult, difficult. Let me ask you this question just to make me feel better. How many have got some difficult people in your life? Just raise your hand. You've got some difficult people in your life and you're sitting next to them, don't raise your hand. But if you've got some difficult people in your life, and Thanksgiving's coming up, and you're just like hoping they won't, wait, won't be there. And you don't want them to have COVID for a long time, but you just hope that they're not there. And I can tell you the, the one person that I struggle with, and you know, we all have those, and I, I love them. I honestly love them. I pray for God to bless them. Lord, bless them. 
And it doesn't mean when you love somebody, it doesn't mean that you're going to be like best friends with them because some people are toxic. They're toxic people and you have to love them from a distance. You read the story of Esau here when Jacob came back to met Esau and they got all together. That all worked out after Jacob prayed and Esau said, hey, I'm, we're good. Let's go to, let's go to Seir. I'll, I'll travel together. And he said, my group is, Jacob said, my group is too, you know, slow. They can't keep up with you. I'll see you at Seir. And then he actually never goes to Seir. He goes to Succoth. I was reading that and I was thinking about my situation with the person that I struggle with. I was reading that and I was thinking, oh Lord, here's an example of a miraculous reconciliation. Here's an example of a miraculous reconciliation. And the Lord said, yes, there's a reconciliation here, but you notice that Jacob did not go live with Esau. He kept his distance from Esau. So love does not mean putting yourself in an abusive situation, but it means in your heart, you love them and you want God to bless them and you want Lord, the Lord to do things. Because let me tell you something, if that person that you struggle with were the only person on the planet, Jesus would have came to die for your enemy. The person I struggle with, Jesus would have came to die just for them. So if Jesus feels that way about them, I've got to feel that way about them too. Can you say a big amen? A number of years ago, when I came here, uh, we had elders in our church at that point and wonderful, wonderful group of people. I was 24. Most of those guys were in their 40s. And I remember coming here, and it was really hard in the beginning because these guys were older than me, and uh, I'm right out of Baba College. I'm green, and I'm excited. And we had, a, we had a conflict about the vision of the church. And the conflict was about how Pentecostal and how charismatic should our church be. And I was raised in sort of that environment. And it was my dream and my vision that our church would have great worship, great teaching, great small groups, but that we would, uh, that we would be mainstream so we could reach normal people. And I said to the elders, I said, our church is like trying to ask people to drink out of fire hydrant. It's too much for people. And so there was this big debate, big division, painful, my first church conflict. And this one man is such a good man, such a godly man. His, his wife was godly. He was godly. His, 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 his family was godly. And we had pain in our relationship and we uh they separated elders all left went to different churches and i was here and kind of shaped the church and the vision in which we're operating in today and about 10 years ago went through a major crisis in my life major crisis in this church and that elder started calling me we hadn't seen each other in years. He started calling me. He said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And he stopped by the church. said, I'm just working nearby. I'm just praying for you. We started talking. And he began to be my biggest cheerleader in the community. A couple months ago, he 
tried to call me on the phone a couple times. He said, call me. I want to talk to you. So I called him. And we're talking on the phone. We're talking about the old Gumbera Fellowship days. We're talking about those early days and the things we did. We're talking and just having a good time. I'm asking about his kids. He's got like 100 grandkids. I mean, he's telling me about all his grandkids. I'm telling about my grandkids. And then in the conversation, I said, you know, I'm really sorry for how all that went down. And he said, uh, I want you to know I'm sorry. He said, I did, if I had it to do all over again, I'd do it a lot different. And we talked and we fellowshiped. And we had, we laughed. He told me about the church he's going to now. And I told him about stuff that's going on here. And as I'm on the phone, I realize that I'm talking to an authentic believer. Because authentic believers flow in love and forgiveness. Authentic believers, Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by how you love each other. Love is not weak. Love is strong. Love is robust. Love is courageous. And how do I know if I'm a Christian? How do I know if I'm really a follower of Jesus? How do I know? I look at my life and there's things that are different. I'm not perfect, but I see the work of God in my life. And I see that I can't hate people. I can't go on hating people. Because if I hate people, it would prove that I'm not an authentic follower of Jesus. I want you to lift your hands right now. Holy Spirit's moving, breaking our hearts. Authentic conversion, genuine conversion. Power of God changing people's lives, not just signing a prayer card. The Spirit of God changing people, releasing people, making them look like Jesus as they live their life year after year in the community. They begin to look like their Father in heaven because we have the seed of God in us. It's proof that we're saved. I pray, God, that in this community, your Holy Spirit will pour out his power and his grace in this community, that there'll be genuine, authentic believers that are born again, that love each other, that walk in righteousness. Help us, Lord. As you lift your hands to the Lord, just say, Holy Spirit, I invite you. I invite you to move the furniture in my life Move things around, change my mind, change my heart, change every heart, every part of my life. Let's say it together. Just say, Holy Spirit, I invite you to take over. I put off the old man and I put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness. That's what Ephesians says. That's, you're quoting scripture. Say it with me again. I put off the old man. And I put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness. There's something happening right now. The Holy Spirit is changing fathers. He's changing husbands. He's changing men. He's changing women. Just invite the glory of the Lord to come into your heart. and may Just let his glory come in and change you. We thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, we love you. Jesus' name. Just lift your hands one more time. Say, Jesus, you're my Lord. 
You're my Lord. We commit ourselves to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Amen. Hey, uh, this is not on the agenda, but why don't we just pray for Israel right now? Would you reach out your hands? Let's pray for Israel. Pray for the Holy Land. Father God, we pray for the land of Israel where you walked, Lord, where your apostles walked, and there's so much violence in that land. Lord, your word says in the last days that Jerusalem would be surrounded by armies. And God, these are, these are powerful times. You're doing something incredibly powerful around the world, and it looks awful and dark, but it's the beginning of light. You're beginning to manifest your kingdom on this earth in a new way. We pray for Israel. We pray for Netanyahu and all the leaders. We pray for those Palestinians, the, the Hamas that are walking in darkness, that are filled with hatred. We pray that you'll just preserve your people and protect those hostages that are there. Just be with them. Bring them home. Liberate our people, we pray. And we pray that you'll help us to remember this week to pray for Israel, to bless Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, your word says, and help us to pray this week for the peace of Jerusalem. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, I love you guys. Let's give the Lord a praise offering. You love the Lord. Amen. Invite somebody to church next week, and Pastor Jeff is over here. We have prayer and communion, and uh, if you're new, make sure you visit us at the blue wall there. We love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.